Welcome to this episode of Law Girl. I'm Jasmine Dea coming to you from my personal injury law firm, JD & Co., located in the heart of Midtown Toronto at Young & St. Clair. Joining me is Dr. Romy Sable. Romy completed her Bachelor of Science and Medical School training at the University of Western Ontario. She then went on to complete a residency program in family medicine with an extra year in emergency medicine at McMaster University. Romy now practices cosmetic medicine exclusively. Romy, I'm so excited to have you for my podcast. Thanks, Jasmine. I'm so excited to be here. Romy, my intention of inviting you over was to discuss personal injury in the context of cosmetic medicine. And before I start with my questions, I just want to clarify the type of cosmetic medicine that you practice in particular, because you've told me that there's different types. Mm -hmm. So the type of cosmetic medicine I practice is um, non-surgical. So um, basically I use a lot of needles. I inject um, mostly the face, sometimes the neck, um, and I use such things as Botox, um, which is an example of a neuromodulator, and I do things like fillers, which I can explain later. Okay. How old were you when you said, I want to be a doctor? So the short answer is, I think it was eight, eight years old. Um, but for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a doctor. My dad is um, a physician and still practicing. My grandfather was a family doctor. My great uncle was a doctor. I have uncles and cousins who are all physicians. And my mother was a nurse. So basically, it was in my blood. And uh, yeah, so basically, I grew up thinking medicine, breathing medicine. It was it was, it was never an option, actually. That's what I, you were going to do. Yeah, that's what I was going to do. I basically spent all my time in my dad's office at the hospital. So even if it was not studying, it was coloring, playing, playing with plaster, making fake casts. So. so in my family, what a lot of people don't realize is that um, there are a lot of doctors on my dad's side. Uh, my dad's brother, a lot of his cousins, uncles. There's so many doctors. And my parents' dream for me was to follow in those footsteps. But like my father, I chose not to. <laughs> so that was a big issue for me. But happy to see that you followed the path. It's okay. I have two more siblings that didn't. So. Okay. So they know how I feel. Yeah. When did you make the switch to cosmetic medicine? Uh, because you've told me you were you were in family first. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when did you make that decision? So basically, I started um, in family medicine. I did the family medicine residency, and during that training, I met somebody who uh, basically asked me if I was interested in learning how to inject Botox. At that time, um, I didn't really know much about it, but. Um, I said, sure, I'd hear some more. So she started giving me some information about it. Um, and at the same time, I developed an interest in emergency medicine. So I did an extra year of training in the Merge. And um, then I started working in the Merge, and I met a surgeon there who asked me if I was interested in surgically assisting, so helping him in the operating room. And um, it was there that I really learned that I love working with my hands and doing procedures. So I basically did 50% surgical assisting and 50% cosmetic medicine. And shortly after that, realized that cosmetic medicine was my, my passion and did it, switched over to full-time. And so when was that? How long ago? So that was, uh, oh gosh, 2000. Um, we're talking over 15 years ago. <laughs> I don't want to date <laughs> so, myself, but. So a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like a long time ago. So you are qualified and yes. experienced. Yes, yes. 
I understand that you are an advanced injector. What does that mean? So, um, I don't think there's actual official definition of that, but um, for myself, I like to tell my patients that I do regularly attend courses, seminars, conferences every year. Um, oh, you were just in Vancouver. Yeah, I was most recently in Calgary, and then two months before that in Vancouver. Yeah, so really, and those were for the seminars. Yes, conferences. So um, amazing speakers, surgeons from around the world who are totally on the cutting edge of cosmetic medicine, so that I'm able to constantly update my skills, come back to my office, and continue practicing what I've learned in the conferences. Also, numbers of years in practice would contribute to, I guess, being an advanced injector. What is Botox? <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's a great silly, question. Like, it's a great question. You know, I know everyone's doing it. Everyone's yeah. getting it. Yeah. And I've, I read actually online yeah. that you, I think, have an article where you say that a lot of husbands don't know that their wives are, are doing it. Are yeah. doing yeah. it. <clears throat> it's um, true. So let's first say, let's first explain. Sure. What is it? So. Uh, most people know Botox as the, I guess, the popular cosmetic treatment that treats frown lines and other facial lines. So, you know, these little frown lines between your brows and the horizontal lines in your forehead. Um, Are you examining my lines? No, actually, I'm actually flexing my frown muscles because I just injected. <laughs> I was just injected, so I'm trying to she, get rid of them. Because you're pointing at these lines <laughs> and then looking you have at no me. lines. <laughs> Just wondering. No, do you no. do that though when you're with people? Do you? I don't. I don't. Well, that's not true. I would say ninety percent of the time I don't. But there's ten percent. There are the time. times when I'm like, oh my goodness, should I offer them my services? And um, I end up not saying anything. But <laughs> but it is on your mind. Only ten percent of the time. Okay, good to know. <laughs> but anyway, the active ingredient in the treatment is known as a neuromodulator. I think that's a word that most people in the public are not familiar with and basically that's a substance that um, alters or changes nerve transmission so in essence basically it blocks the signal from the nerve to the muscle and that prevents the muscle from contracting and making a wrinkle on the skin Botox is the most well-known neuromodulator in North America however there are other ones there's Dysport and Zeomin which contain the same active ingredient, Clostridium botulinum. And the difference between the three are um, the ways in which the active ingredient is stabilized. But the goal of all three of them is the exact same. It's that they temporarily target the facial muscles and stop them from moving, thereby uh, reducing or softening the facial wrinkles that are associated with movement. Although Botox is commonly used for cosmetic purposes, some of my clients use it to treat medical issues. So mm-hmm. I've had a client in the past... And she had an issue after an accident where her eye was constantly twitching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she used Botox and she felt that it helped to alleviate that eye twitching. I've also had a client who used Botox for headaches. She had really bad headaches Mm -hmm. after an incident, Mm -hmm. um, personal injury incident. And so she used it to treat headaches. Um, She did not feel very much relief. And I know it's case by case Mm -hmm. on, you know, whether it helps or it doesn't help. Um, But 
Regardless of these medical treatments, our society seems more fascinated by the cosmetic purpose. Like, right. I don't hear on the radio or anything people talking about the fact that you can actually use For Botox. Reasons, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so why is that? Why do we not know that it's actually used for medical purposes? Uh, I think one word answer is media. And the second is Kardashians. <laughs> um, it's just not glamorous to talk about your overactive bladder or your cross-eyed or your migraines that you suffer from. So, are those the other yeah, those medical are definitely conditions? Other uses. Yeah, um, spasticity. You talked about the muscle um, twitching for sure. Um, children use it for um, if they have cerebral palsy and they have the spasticity of their muscles. Um, bladder issues. There's some overactive bladders. You can use it. There's numerous... Um, um, reasons you can use Botox that are medically related, not cosmetic. But I think that um, I think the um, it's just it's more common to see. I mean, we've got magazines, we've got people in the media talking about it all the time. And so. I guess you know, with things like Instagram, where we're just right, like exactly. there's just flashes of all pictures, and yes. everyone just wants it looks to look so great, good. exactly. You know, with their, and then you filter everything to make it look even better, right? right? Yes, I think it's the pursuit of youth is uh, is pretty strong, mm-hmm. and it's only getting stronger. Yeah, no, true. What are the potential side effects and risks associated with Botox? Um, okay, so basically for Botox, when you're using it cosmetically, which is what I use it for uh, most of the time, I didn't mention it's also used for hyperhidrosis, so excessive sweating under, oh, the, arm, yeah. under the underarms, hands, feet. Um, Where would you inject for that, though? You in- inject it right into the palms, right into the underarms, oh. right into the feet, yeah, okay. the soles of the feet. Um, it's great to stop sweating. Um, but anyway, the side effects um, that are associated with Botox when used cosmetically because the dose is so low compared to the medical treatments, um, they're very minimal side effects. So the ones that I, I talk about are, um, to my patients with every consultation is bruising. Um, if you do get a bruise, it's very tiny. You can probably see I have a few right here. I'm looking at Romy's <laughs> bruises. In my crow's feet. So when did... Like, I did it yesterday. Long? I did oh, it yesterday. Okay. And it'll probably be gone by tomorrow. And okay. I covered it up with makeup. So and it's no so big deal. How long, how long does it take for the bruise to show up? Usually the next day. Okay. Yeah, usually the next day. Within so, 24 hours. So you injected yesterday. Yeah. So you got a little bruise today. Yeah, tiny. I, you can barely I see it. I have no can't issue with see it. it. Right. I think she's lying to me. <laughs> like, it, it, there's nothing there, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing to write home about. So, yeah, bruising is probably number one. Um, some people experience headache when they get um, Botox. Um, and when I say Botox, I'm not just talking about Botox. I'm talking about Dysport, Xeomin, all the different neuromodulators. They all have the similar side effect profile. So, um, headaches. Um, there can be a little bit of swelling where the the toxin is injected that is very very temporary Um, but other um, side effects that I always mention are um, the dropping of your eyebrow or your eyelid so eyelid droop Um, there is a possibility of infection Um, so you know I always give after post instruction sheets to patients to uh, make sure that nothing is happening and if something does happen to get a hold of me Um, and then I like to say that one side effect of doing it which may be not really a side effect but I don't like to see it is when people are overdone over injected too much when you say someone is over injected what are we gonna see on their face so you're gonna see no movement 
Okay. Um, so there should be some movement when you get In my talk. opinion, in my opinion, there should be some movement. There should be some facial expression. But, <laughs> it shouldn't uh, be Not like, everyone agrees with me. So. It should be like, I am smiling. <laughs> right. But I no am pissed smiling. off. Yeah. Right? But there's no expression. Exactly. Okay. So that's, I, that's, I may have seen that on some <laughs> people, <yeah>. actually. <laughs> what is the difference between Botox and fillers? Because, you know, I used to hear, and maybe this is just me, but I used to hear a lot of talk about Botox and now creeping into conversations mm. is this topic about mm. fillers. Mm. Yeah. What is that? So I like to tell people right off the bat, they are two totally different categories. So Botox, like I mentioned, affects the dynamic wrinkle. So lines that are formed on your face by the muscle contracting. So um, if you frown, let's say you don't have a line between your brow and then you frown and you create this line, we can prevent that from happening. If you get forehead lines and you lift your eyebrow and produce these lines, those are lines that are created by the muscle under the skin. There are lines in the face that are created by a deficit of fat in your face, uh, loose skin, aging, weight loss, and those are not really dynamic lines. So, uh, for example, in your, um, we call them the nasolabial fold. So the lines from your nose to the outer lip. Um, marionette lines from the corners of your mouth down to your chin area. Why are they called that? They look like a marionette. The puppet. Oh! Lines. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that a person? Like, what do you say? Yeah, no, like, you know, the puppet, the marionette. Yeah, yeah, anyway, so those are lines that are not really created by the muscle under it, so putting Botox in there would have no effect. So that's an area where you would put in filler. Also, what's very popular is filler in the lips. A lot of people, I think, also from the Kardashians have made uh, filler more mainstream and popular in, so, in terms of increasing the size of lips. But talking about when we went going back and talking about how you said some people have done too much mm-hmm. Botox, I think I've seen <laughs> too much filler in yep. the lips. <clears throat> True. Yep. That's is when that... the lip walks through the door before the person. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, is it addictive? Do people... I think it is addictive. I think for a lot of people it's addictive. And I think for a lot of people, they don't know when too much is too much. And um, well, I, I think I, that's when you work with your physician and hopefully the physician uh, says, something. says something and says you've had enough. We're, we're not doing anymore. Well, I think, you know, you get the good feel and right. then you just chase more. Right. Kinda right. Like when you have a drink. And right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? There's a, there's, a, there's a life cycle of lip filler. I, I don't remember exactly what it is. I think it goes, um, I'm scared to get my lips. Then you get injected and you're like, oh my God, they're too big. And then the next day, the immediate swelling comes down. They're like, oh my God, they're back to normal. I don't see a difference. And then the next step is, oh my God, I want to go bigger than I did the yeah, last time. Yeah. So. Hmm. Well, I'm sure you tell your patients. I do. And how do you I have do. that conversation? I say your lips are too big or they're perfect or you don't need more. Do they listen? Yes. Yes, they do. For the most part. If there's someone who doesn't listen, I usually say I'm not the right physician for you. That's a good answer. Yeah. And I say that in law too. You yeah. know, like... I'm there to advise you. And right. while my clients, it's their case, and I totally respect their opinion, mm-hmm. if we are not on the same wavelength... Right. You're not going to achieve results exactly. that you both want. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it is better that they find someone that is on the same wavelength. 100%. Now, the majority of my clients, it seems like you have the same situation. They yes. listen to me because yeah. they know I have their best interests right. exactly. at play here, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, if we're not on the same wavelength, it just doesn't make sense. Right. 100%. When a new client comes to you for 
Botox or fillers? We've talked a bit about this, but what is the procedure? So everyone has different, all physicians have different procedures. Um, I like to have a consultation uh, first without even talking about doing the treatment. So at that first consultation, I talk about, again, like the differences between Botox and fillers or Dysport, Zium and all those products and the neuromodulators and fillers, what the difference is, because a lot of people don't know the difference. So I like to educate the patient um, and explain the differences, talk about the pros and cons of the treatment, also talk about other options. So see if there's other options to achieve what it is they're coming in to um, to get done. Um, see what their concerns are. Find out if there's any contraindications. There are contraindications to some of these treatments, so I have to find out you know their medical history, uh, whether they're pregnant, getting pregnant, nursing, uh, medical conditions, allergies. Um, and then we talk about side effects and the potential side effects, and then we talk about the follow-up care and what the relationship's going to be like with me um, after the treatment's done, and then answer any questions they have, take some pictures, and then say, go home, think about it, and, and we can either talk again or go ahead and do the treatment. What are you legally required to tell them? So you talked about your procedure. Yeah, I, I think legally, yeah, legally you have to you have to tell them what it is you're injecting, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what the contraindications are, what the side effects are. They need to know what the side effects are and the potential side effects. Like they don't always happen, but you need to know what the minor ones are, the you know the major ones are, um, and they they also need to know what the other options are. Maybe even procedures that you don't perform. Um, as options. So uh, just to give you an example, very often I use Botox or Dysport to give a little raise to the eyebrow. But um, but one of the options is to have surgery of the eyelid. So I talk about that. I don't personally do the surgery. Um, but you could refer Absolutely. Them so to I do else. refer people to get their eyelids uh, done. And so I, I need to get to know the person really to find out what the best course of treatment is and come up with a treatment plan. And some people are very um, adverse to having surgery. And I explained that, you know, it doesn't quite do the exact same thing as surgery. And they say, that's okay. And I want a 10, 15% improvement. I want a 50% mm-hmm. improvement. And so we talk about the type of improvement you're going to get. And um, my approach is go low, go slow. You can always add. It's not, it's, it's also all temporary. So can is, you take it out? Like, what if you don't so, like uh, it? Good question. Yeah. So Botox, you cannot take out. So you're just stuck. You're stuck with and it. And how long does it last? So it lasts, I always say, three to four months to my patients. But once you get going on it, it can last longer and longer. I like to say it's like reverse weight training. So when you weight train, you exercise your muscles to get bigger and stronger. So what we're doing with the neuromodulators is we're training the muscle to be weaker and less big. So with continued use of these neuromodulators, they become smaller, they become less active, and then they last longer. Okay. And what about fillers? What if you don't like what was going on? Good question. (laughs) Filler, you can reverse. There is an agent called hyaluronidase, which does break up the filler. You can inject it and reverse. So um, you inject more You inject something in, but it it dissolves it. Okay. Um, How long does it take to dissolve? Right away. Right away. You see it before your eyes. It's actually really cool to see. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, but again, I caution people to use it if it's just, um, you know, for emergency purposes, absolutely you have to use it. If it's just, oh, you know, uh, my lips are too big. I always say just wait, wait, cause things do settle down 
And in addition to the hyaluronidase breaking up the filler, which is made of hyaluronic acid, it also breaks down your own collagen. So you have to be careful not to overuse it. So with the lip filler, how long Mm. does that last? So everybody is different. I say there's a range between four months up to eight months, and everyone's a little different. I do have patients that come in and say, wow, you did it for me a year ago, and I still love them. So I say, wow, you're one of the lucky ones. And there are people who say it doesn't last on me. It only lasts four months. So... And if you inject filler in different parts of yeah. the face... It lasts different lengths of is, time. Is that... Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So I like to say the, the further away from the mouth, which is your most active area on your face, the further away you go, the longer it lasts. So we do a lot of cheeks for, you know, building up a cheeks for people who have lost weight, who are aging, sagging, runners, um, even just to build structure in the face, to lift things up. That tends to last the longest. And then as you get uh, closer to the mouth, the mouth area, you use a lot. You talk, you eat, you kiss, hopefully. So <laughs> so it, may, it can be broken down quicker than other areas. What is required legally to be permitted to inject, inject Botox? Um, so that's a good question. I'm going to say I don't know the official answer. What I can say is that physicians, so medical doctors are obviously allowed to do it. Um, Nurses and um, nurse practitioners can also inject under uh, the guidance of a physician. So it's a directed order. So just like when you go to a hospital and a nurse gives a drug or medication to a patient, it's under the physician's direction. So those people are allowed to inject as long as there's a doctor supervising. Anyone else besides that kind, those two kind of degrees should not be injecting. And that brings me to a news, a few news stories. So I have read several news stories about individuals that aren't licensed mm-hmm. injecting Botox, and mm-hmm. they've been caught. Mm-hmm. I don't know how prevalent this is because mm-hmm. I only know, like, it's not my area, so yeah. I only know what I read in the newspaper. Right. So I don't know if there's more people than than what I'm reading, or right. you know, these are isolated incidents. How prevalent? Is it? So I think it's hard to say how prevalent is it. Exactly like you said, it's not really in the media. Um, there are people who are injecting. Um, unlicensed? Unlicensed, for sure. In fact, I just heard a story uh, when I was at my conference Which is illegal, to yeah, be clear. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, about a, I was just in Calgary, and I was speaking to some other physicians, and they were mentioning that there was a person that, and I don't even know how they got a hold of the drug, because... The drugs should not be sold to people who are unlicensed. So that's another issue in and of itself. But somebody who was unlicensed got a hold of the medication and was watching YouTube channels to figure out how to inject. Okay. It's just very scary. All of it is very scary. I mean, there are... And those patients may or may not know. Right. I mean... It could be a situation where they're charging a lot less because Botox right. is also For not sure. cheap, right? Right. So that is that's a great. Um, and what is point. the range of of cost? So for the average Botox. range for yeah. treatment of Botox is anywhere from five hundred to six hundred dollars per treatment. Is the average? Okay. I would say it's it's right in the average. There are lower, there are higher. There's also Groupons out there. So I always want to tell people to be very wary of Groupons. You know those where you yeah, buy yeah, in yeah. bulk, those yeah. discounted things. Firstly, they always grab you. Once you're there, they always suck you in for something else to upsell you. And you have no idea who the person is injecting. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's your face. Why would you go get a discount? To save a little bit. To save on your face. I don't know. Uh, call me crazy. I'd rather get a discount on my shoes. And yeah, the I agree. Right? No I side agree. effects. 
And and how do you know if someone's licensed or not? Like, what is the public supposed to do? It right. Be so there's there's question. websites. Well, yeah, for sure. But but you know, just like I'm sitting in your office and I see all your degrees, law society and Osgood <laughs> Hall. Yeah. Hopefully, the doctor who's injecting has their degrees on display for their patients to see. You could also look them up online. There's a college, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. And they for nurses, license. they're going to look where? So I don't actually know. They're, I'm sure that there's a college for the nurses also. I'm sure okay. I haven't looked at their website, but I'm sure that they do have, they should have their nurses listed who have completed their degrees. So you would, you look at their, their walls. Yeah. You're going to do research on these individuals right. online. You don't yeah. necessarily want to use... Um, bulk discounts right. to go get 100%. Go get your Botox. Nope. Okay, so that's good. Um, and then I want to talk about uh, medical malpractice. So, medical malpractice is an area of law where we can sue if there is negligence on mm-hmm. the part of the doctor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of doctors don't love me asking them about <laughs> this. <laughs> it's like a touchy subject. <laughs> but yes. you've got insurance. Right. So tell me about that. So Canadian Medical Protective Association is our insurance. And in order to keep our license, we actually have to be insured. It's part and parcel of being a doctor, like in in Canada. um, So you have to have that insurance. Um, So that insurance is there for us, I guess, for medical malpractice, like you said. Um, there are other ways that people can complain about you and, and if you have issue with your doctor or your nurse, there's the college. You can go to the College of Physicians and Surgeons Ontario and make a formal complaint there and they investigate in a different way than the college. But the, for the medical malpractice, you go through CMPA. So so you'd retain a lawyer yeah. to sue for mm-hmm. medical malpractice. But oh, yes. just so everyone is aware, yeah. it, is, it is not easy to sue doctors, nor do... Right. You know, we want to sue our doctors. We appreciate our doctors. Um, but in, in the Thanks, cosmetic... Jasmine. You're welcome, Romy. Um, but in the cosmetic medicine area that you're in, yeah, is that going to open itself up to any legal issues? I mean, are things going to go wrong if you're getting a, a few Good shots question. of Botox? Right. So in general, Botox, Dysport, Zeomin, all those neuromodulators and the fillers are all temporary. My understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that when you are uh, filing a malpractice lawsuit, that there has to be significant injury, long-lasting injury. It also has to be a marked departure. And from, a marked departure, exactly. You know, from right well, from what would be normal, what you would expect. Exactly, exactly. So um, it would be highly unlikely to, um, I think, to have a medical malpractice for sure with Botox, unless, of course, maybe the person's livelihood depends on maybe their eyebrows going up if they're an actor or an actress. And, or a model. Or, or a model, and now it's ruined their livelihood, and they can't go out in public for a few months. Yeah, so I guess that's something that they could pursue. Or if there wasn't um, maybe implied consent. Like maybe they right, things that's true, and they weren't told explicitly what could, what could happen. Also, no follow-up. So perhaps, you know, we talk about uh, infection is a possibility. Um so, uh, you know, you need close follow-up with your physician. If the, perhaps they weren't told about follow-up or they, their physician wasn't accessible and they had an infection and got worse and they had to go, you know, to their family doctor, emerge, be put on antibiotics, and they had a whole, mm-hmm. you know, long saga to correct it. So it seems that from the cosmetic procedures, very low chance of medical malpractice. I think so. I think so. However, now, there are other procedures that kind of come under the umbrella of cosmetic medicine. Mm-hmm. So 
for example, uh, my previous clinic that I co-owned and ran for 12 years, not only was myself and my uh, partner doing the injections, we also had medical estheticians. Okay. And they do treatments that, <clears throat> excuse me, they're overseen by us. So, for example, IPL, which is intense pulse light. So, this is like a laser-based treatment to help with the face, sun damage, pigment. Um, there's laser hair removal, so people get their hair removed mm-hmm. permanently. And I can see there being a few more issues. I've had issues. Right, so for sure there's getting burns. definitely malpractice yeah. with those issues. Yeah. Because there are longer lasting and more permanent damage done by these machines. So potentially. Potentially, yeah. Yes. Potentially. Okay, and, and to clarify, when yeah. I said that... Um, low likelihood of medical malpractice with respect to cosmetic medicine. I'm yeah. talking about non-surgical, right. obviously. Exactly. Sur- yes, surgery. whole different ballgame. Exactly. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, but I, I completely see what you're saying. Like, I've had several calls about issues with the laser hair removal. Right, that was, exactly. You know, the biggest issue because yes, it is painful and, and there's a lot of issues that potential issues that could arise. Uh, So in the U.S., I've seen class actions with respect to Botox and issues that can come up. Um, But I believe that that's different. What I've seen is Botox um, gone wrong or caused issues where it's being used for medical purposes, not for Mm -hmm. cosmetic Mm -hmm. purposes. Would you agree with that? I would. I think the major difference, well, there's obviously several differences, but the major one is dosing. Um, For these medical reasons, you're using much higher dosing of the neuromodulators than in cosmetic. Like so, when you say much bigger, yeah, like, like how much? I I don't actually know the doses and there's so many but different But you know what you're injecting. I know what I do. I think it's going to be like at least minimum tenfold. Okay. At least. Okay. Um, and so anytime you're going to do more of anything, yes, there's a higher, higher risk, risk of issues arising. Sure. Plus you're already doing it on medical, people with medical problems. So they're already kind of at risk. You have a healthy young female patient that's coming in for you know some forehead lines not really much can go wrong mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on shoppers <laughs> so shoppers is launching yes, their, their beauty, Botox, clinic, yes. beauty clinic beauty clinic yes yeah. so it seems more of a mass market yeah approach yeah. volume based yeah yeah what are your thoughts so I don't know much about what their plans are, how they're structuring it, who they're hiring to do these injections. I mean, just looking at it in a very quick way, it seems like they're having nurse practitioners. I don't know if there's a physician overseeing it. And if there is, is the person on the premises where they're having treatments done? I I don't know that information. Um, But just with my own experience in developing relationships with patients, I think it's really important to have a really good relationship with your patient and the patient with the physician who's injecting you. I think it is so huge. And if you're just going to a different person every time and they're coming and going, it's kind of like going to McDonald's drive through I mean, it just doesn't sit well with me, but maybe they're planning on doing it a little bit differently. It just sounds like it's like fast food Botox. I understand completely what you're saying because I feel that with my clients, I have a relationship with them. Right. And to me, that relationship is so important to advance their case. Exactly. And so similarly, you have a relationship with your patients and you're making sure that, you know, they're happy with what you've done. Exactly. And there's like the small nuances that you get to know in a person where you can start suggesting things that maybe they haven't thought about, or if they're asking, you can actually feel more comfortable saying no, yes. Like just having that freedom of being able to talk to the person freely and not, not knowing them. 
being a stranger and doing a cookie cutter treatment for them. It's really tailored to the patient very specifically. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours <laughs> we and hours. Could. We could. I'm going to cut off this interview now, but uh, we're going out sometime soon because yes, I, I need to definitely. continue chatting with definitely. you. Definitely. Thanks so much, Romy. Really appreciate oh, my it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me.